Joel chapter 3. Joel chapter 3, please, tonight. Joel chapter 3, for behold, in those days and at the, in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. And, uh, and Lord, I just uh, pray that you would speak to our hearts from... Uh, from your prophet, this your word that you have given through him. And, and Father, uh, might we be encouraged, uh, might we be just helped by your spirit. Uh, we thank you for the good services this morning, for your word going forth in Sunday school and in the worship hour. And Father, just for the privilege that we have to meet, and we truly have been given much. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to be thankful for that and recognize you do not require more of us than you will do, do through us, dear God, if we'll just yield to you. And I, and I pray you'd help us in that, help us to be faithful in this time of focus and upon our, our, our missions giving, just that we would uh, let you direct us and uh, that you'd be with our missionaries, help them, each one. There uh, multiple ones are trying to get back to the field. They need open doors, uh, God, and we lift them up for you in prayer regarding these things. And, and uh, Lord, we pray and we ask these things. I ask just for the filling of your spirit tonight and, and uh, be with those. We're thankful for those that are here with us uh, streaming online as well. Father, we, uh, we praise your name. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> All right. So in uh, the book of Joel, we saw in chapter 2 <clears throat> that... Uh, uh, the first portion of chapter 2, we saw the locust plague and really parallels uh, quite uh, a bit with the actual, with the locust plague that's described in Revelation. We went down through that, the great judgments that were there. And then we saw in verse 18 of chapter 2 where uh, God begins to be jealous for his land uh, uh, and, and, and to pity his, his, his people. He's going to, of course, we know at the end of that time uh, that Israel's, uh, a third of them at least, are going to come to repentance and such. So after Joel 2.18, we looked at Ezekiel 3.38 and saw pretty much that whole chapter of Ezekiel 3.38 fits in there right around that time uh, when God is working to bring... Uh, Israel in there's those battles we talked about the the army coming down from the north there and uh, and uh, uh, you know the battles that would would take place there great hail out of heaven and such how that God you know uh, used hail and has a storehouse of hail that he's used in uh, in, in in battle and such uh, uh, upon uh, upon uh, repentance Joe foretells of blessing and restoration that will come in verse 21. Uh, applying the, uh, uh, the, the future situation back to his present situation. If we repent now, you know that God will restore the crops and such, and we saw those kind of things working in, in, uh, in, in chapter uh, 2 there. Uh, we saw in Joel 2.27, he says, after the northern army, he says uh, 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 in verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward, that's after the northern army is turned back, 
I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And so he talked about the pouring out of the spirit, which will come when? Right before the millennium. We compared that with what, how Peter used the passage. Uh, Peter recognized that it was the same thing uh, that Joel was talking about, but it obviously was not speaking about the same time. Uh, uh, Joel's uh, time that he was, when he spoke about the spirit be poured out, Christ would be, the salvation would be in Mount Zion and deliverance would be in Jerusalem and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. In Peter's day, though he saw the same event, the filling of the Spirit, uh, 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 Jesus is what? At the right hand of the Father, uh, and, uh, and the church of age, of course, is there. So, uh, so we learned and, 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 and considered those things um, there um, as well. Uh, Jesus had told uh, you know, the, the woman at the well that uh, the time was coming. They wouldn't work, there wouldn't be a, you know, a special place of worship for a, for a time, uh, neither in, Samaria, in, in, in Jerusalem or in that mountain. And that time, of course, uh, was the time Peter was in uh, when he was uh, uh, giving that, uh, uh, relating that prophecy of Joel uh, to those who had received uh, the Spirit. Uh, Jesus told them when they rejected him, Behold, your house is left unto you uh, desolate. You won't see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. So uh, we saw that. Moving into chapter 3, uh, we read, uh, he says, uh, Behold, in, in those days and in that time. And so we hear, here we have kind of a reflection that the day of the Lord is actually days. And there are, there are, there's a multiple time. It's talking about a certain time in history. Behold, in those days and in that time, I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem. And uh, I will also gather all nations, bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And will plead with them uh, there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. So he's going to bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Uh, he goes on to say in verse uh, uh, 3 there, They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy for an harlot, sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Well, let's consider a few things from these first three verses of Joel 3. Uh, what is this valley uh, of Jehoshaphat? Uh, well, some uh, uh, Christian writers, uh, the earliest, uh, 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 some Christian writers have connected it with the Kidron Valley, which is uh, just uh, east of Jerusalem, between uh, Jerusalem and, uh, and the Mount of Olives. And some uh, Christian writers have connected it with that. The earliest we find them doing that is in the fourth century. Uh, and uh, 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 and uh, uh, so, uh, as far as where is it? Does the Bible specifically tell us? No, we don't find it. We're, we're specifically told in the Bible where the Valley of Jehoshaphat uh, is. Uh, uh, some believe maybe it's just it's just a a, a prophetic use of the name Jehoshaphat. Uh, uh, the name means uh, means Jehovah judges or or, uh, or um, uh, whose cause he pleads. Uh, so, so Jehovah uh, judges. And of course, that's what's going to be happening at the end of the tribulation period as God brings those nations uh, um, together. Some have speculated it might be when, when Jehoshaphat was called down in, uh, uh, you know, to the, to the uh, confederation of armies that were coming to defeat him. And... Uh, 
he was uh, called down to, uh, God told him he wouldn't have to fight in that battle. You'd find it in Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 16 and following. Uh, and we read that, uh, that God caused those armies to turn on each other. And uh, <clears throat> by the time Jehoshaphat got there, they just, they just arrived to the spoils. And some uh, have thought it might be that valley. However, the Bible says there, in that instance, in verse 26 of Second Chronicles 20, uh, therefore the name of that same place was called the Valley of Baraka unto this day, which is a valley of blessing. So they did, they gave that valley a name, and, and it wasn't uh, the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Uh, so that doesn't, uh, doesn't give credence any support to it necessarily being that valley uh, or, 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 the, or the Kidron Valley. Uh, we'll look at some more of that perhaps as we, uh, as we move on. Uh, God uh, uh, speaking, uh, gathering all nations, bringing them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I believe it's bringing them down to judgment. I believe we're talking about the tribulation period here. And uh, he's gathering nations together against Jerusalem. Uh, and and uh, I think either the judgment being either to actually uh, destroy the armies or the judgment of the nations, which we find in Matthew 25, you know, to judge them before they go into the millennium and, and, and as to how they treated Israel. And uh, it could be either of those. But uh, he's gathering the nations. He's definitely going to destroy the armies. And he's definitely going to judge the nations uh, before you get into the millennium. And we read that portion where he puts the, the sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. And he says, as much as ye have done it unto me, ye have done it unto least of my brethren. He's really talking in the context, who? Really about Israel, about his nation. That's an, that's an is, is, Israeli, Israelite context there. Uh, we're already gone. That's the end of the, uh, that, that's, when, that's when he returns in all his glory uh, before the millennium. And now, uh, who, who has been uh, adopted primarily for the spreading of the gospel in the tribulation period? 12,000 uh, sealed Jews. And, uh, and so they are, the main, they are the main soul winners, the main evangelists. And, uh, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the nation of Israel is going to face, what, much persecution during that time. So the my people there uh, in, in Matthew 25 is actually in, in, in the context is speaking really mostly about especially saved Jews and how they were treated, how the nations treated them during the tribulation period. Now the things regarding, uh, regarding everlasting life, obviously, and eternal, eternal punishment also transfer over what? To, to the church because the conditions are the same. You know, if we believe, and, uh, that, that, then we're going to have everlasting life. If we don't believe, uh, then what? We're going to go into everlasting punishment. So uh, the punishment for the lost in the church age is the same as the punishment for the lost uh, in the tribulation period. So a lot of that, that stuff transfers over, uh, over uh, practically in making a practical uh, application of that. So God, considering these battles here, uh, he says, uh, now, uh, he says, uh, uh, he's gathering the nations together. He says, uh, verse 4, we write, Yea, what have I to do with the O Tyre and Zidon and all the coasts of Palestine? Will you render unto me a recompense? And if you recompense me swiftly and speedily, I, will I return your recompense upon your own head? So God is gathering the nations together against, uh, against um, uh, Jerusalem. And uh, uh, what does he say? He says, uh, 
to Tyre and Zidon. That, now that would be where? That would be the west coast of Israel there along the Mediterranean Sea, what we call the Phoenician area in the Bible there. So apparently as they gather nations together, these along that west coast are what? They're going to join in the battle. You see, there's so much hatred for Israel at this time. Everybody wants to get a little piece of it, okay? And they're all gathering together. All nations are gathering together uh, against Israel. Well, God uh, takes note of this, and he says to these people, he says, will you render me a recompense? Now, notice that he says me. Who's he talking about, actually? The one to come after who? Israel. Remember, what did Jesus say? Inasmuch as you have done it unto what? One of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. The focus, again, in the tribulation period is Israel. So as, it, so as the Phoenicians, as, as Tyre and Zidon, that area, are saying, we're going after Israel too. Why? Because they've got some, you know, uh, some uh, 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 thought where they believe that Israel's done them wrong, where they deserve to be attacked, and, and, and now they're going to recompense them. Uh, they're they're going to come against them for whatever they deserve, you know, that, that they believe to have in the, in, in the defeat of this battle. And so, uh, and so God says, uh, will you render me a recompense when you come after my people you come after me well finally we're going to get you know we're going to get israel you know they, they all hate israel for some cause uh right right or wrong and so they want to recompense israel and uh and, and god says will you will you come after uh, you come after my people will you come after me uh he says uh if you recompense me swiftly and speedily will I return your recompense upon your own head. You come after my people, what? Guess what? I'm going to come after you, huh? And uh, I'm going to bring judgment. And uh, I can't read real good with these glasses, and I've got to get more contact. So just ignore my back and forth there, okay? Uh, but uh, will you join in battle against my people for perceived wrongs that they've done unto you? In the tribulation, God's again focused on Israel to bring them to repentance and millennial blessings. And, uh, and so uh, he, he, he's focused on that. And so he tells these people, because ye have taken silver and gold and have carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things. Now listen. Now he's, he's looking at those that are going to come up to battle in the tribulation period. But now he's rehearsing what they have done in the past in regard to the time he's talking about, okay? So we're looking forward. God is seeing that battle not yet come. He sees the Phoenicians wanting to join in, and now he's going to look, what? Back at how they treated Israel, by the way, that Joel doesn't even know about yet either. <laughs> uh, but God knows. God knows what they've done. And, uh, and he says, uh, You have taken my silver and and gold and carried into your temples my goodly pleasant things the children also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border uh, and so what is he what is he talking about here well I think it's it's a reference to the Babylonian uh, captivity perhaps uh, in uh, in Ezekiel uh, 27 13 Ezekiel writes Javan Tubal and Meshach they were thy merchants and by the way in Ezekiel 27, Ezekiel is writing about the fall of Tyre, the fall of Tyre, which happened what? After the fall of, of Jerusalem. The Tyre was 333 or 332 or something like that. Jerusalem was what? 586. So it was sometime after that. So Ezekiel is, is a captive 
uh, in, uh, in Babylon, and Tyre had not fallen yet. And uh, when Ezekiel's prophesying, he said, Ezekiel writes in, seven, in, in Ezekiel 27, 13, uh, and he's talking about the fall of Tyre, which is to come. And he says, Jave and Tubal and Meshach, they were thy merchants. They traded uh, the persons of men and of vessels and brass in thy market. Javan, that first name in that verse there, is associated with Greece. What did Joel write in Joel 4, 6? The children of also of Judah and the children of Jerusalem have you sold unto the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border. So selling into slavery. Ezekiel condemns uh, Tyre saying your fall is coming because what? They traded the persons of men and of vessels. So, so they were, they were traded. So Javan uh, 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 was involved with Tyre, that's Greece, trading what? Slaves. They were in the slave trade. And obviously some of the Jews that were, uh, uh, that were um, uh, uh, dispersed from Babylon and stuff, or, or from Jerusalem during the captivities, and, uh, and uh, were sold as slaves uh, from, from Tyre in, 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 into Greece. And uh, so God, uh, God, so God says that. And then notice what God has Joel write in verse seven: "Behold, I will raise them. That's those that have been taken out there to Greece, out of the place whither you have sold them, and will return your recompense upon your own head. We're going to get back at Jerusalem. We're going to have our way with, uh, you know, with with Jerusalem. You see, though Babylon." did not conquer the fortress of Tyre. Uh, the city of Tyre had, a, had, a, had part of the city that was on the, on, on the coast and, and there was a part of the city that was on an island that was off the coast. And when the king of Babylon came to conquer Tyre, uh, he conquered the part that was on the Phoenician coast there, but he tried for 13 years to, to, to conquer the island city of Tyre and couldn't do it. It was, it was fruitless. So God gave him, God, the Bible says God gave him his rewards from Egypt. So Nebuchadnezzar couldn't do it, uh, but uh, he, he didn't conquer uh, Tyre. By the way, you ever read, the, ever read very closely the section on that uh, in, in, uh, in, uh, in Ezekiel on the conquering of Tyre, you'll find an amazing accuracy in the scriptures. Uh, take, take careful note to the pronouns in those sections there. We've studied that before. But, uh, but so uh, Nebuchadnezzar couldn't conquer Tyre. But who did? Remember, Alexander. Uh, Greece was raised up, and uh, and uh, he uh, uh, besieged the city. I forget for how long it was. And then after he besieged it for a few, for uh, I think it was even a few years. Then he built what the causeway out uh, to the city, and uh, and uh, you know took the walls down and and just raised raised the city, and and uh, and uh, he had scraped the the shore off there where the old tire was, and straight that into the sea and made a causeway to go out and, uh, and destroyed that city. What, and what did God say uh, through Joel? Uh, Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them. Where was that? Greece. <laughs> and, and will return your recompense upon your own head. <laughs> you watch what I do. You have taken my people, uh, you've taken advantage of them in all the, in all the siege and the captivity of Babylon. You have abused them. You have taken some of those that have fled and you have sold them where? As slaves into Greece. Watch what I'm going to do. You, you were thinking, oh boy, we're going to take advantage of them now. Watch this. 
And what does God do? God raises up Greece where they were sold as slaves. I don't know. Maybe even some of them were in the entire army. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but they come back, what? And they are the ones that destroy Tyre. And uh, I tell you, when we read the Bible, uh, it, is so, it is so encouraging to see that God is in control, isn't he? And uh, uh, history is indeed his story. And, uh, and we are in, uh, in his everlasting arms. And we can, uh, we can trust him uh, for that. And so, uh, so God uh, says in verse 8, I will, he says, uh, you thought you'd have, you get your recompense. I'm going to turn your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah. And they shall sell them to the Sabians and to a people far off. For the Lord hath spoken it. So what is God saying here? Uh, he was putting himself in the place of, of Israel earlier. Are you going to have a recompense against me? Are you coming up against me? You come against me, and who is me? His people. It was his people. You come up against me, I'm going to turn your recompense upon your own head swiftly. And by the way, the, the context he said that in was what? The, tri- the battle coming in the tribulation. And that will happen. <laughs> they'll gather, they'll go up, and God's going to make a, quick, make a quick work of that one. But in the process, he says, remember back there what you did? Uh, I didn't forget. Uh, and you thought you thought you had got it over my people. No, I turned God. He said, "I turned turned that against you." Now, of course, when Joel's prophesying, that hadn't happened yet either. <laughs> that hadn't happened yet either. And uh, uh, and so I- interesting. But uh, now God is saying, as he as he looked at offenses toward his people, as offenses toward him, now he is he is he is uh, kind of imputing his work to his people. See, he's the one that's going to judge Tyre. He's the one uh, that is, that when, when, when Tyre is taken captive, that their sons and stuff are going to be sold as slaves just as they did. He's the one that oversaw that. But who did he credit for, he credited for that? Judah. You thought you're going to get back at Judah. Well, think of it this way. Well, when you, when you uh, took advantage of my people, when you captured those slaves and sold them into Greece, guess what, guess what Judah was probably thinking and praying? Oh God, would you recompense their evil upon their own head? <laughs> God, would you, you know, would, would you hear your people? Uh, we've, we've repented and, and, and Babylon is, you know, is, is, is our chastisement and, and yet they'd gone even further and, and sold some of your people way out into Greece. So it would seem almost impossible to draw them back. You can imagine what some of the prayers of, of those of Judah were. And uh, what did God uh, uh, say in uh, Isaiah 45, 11? Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the works of my hands command ye me. No doubt there were those in Judah who wanted a recompense upon Tyre for taking their people captive and selling them as slaves into, in, into Greece. Guess what? God gave it to them. <laughs> You, you thought you're going to be over on Judah? No, Judah's going to be over on you, because I'm on their side. And uh, so that, that's kind of what he's that, that's kind of what he's saying there. He's saying, watch, watch what I do there. Uh, <clears throat> so then, verse nine, he says, "Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war." Uh, wake up uh, the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. 
beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the heathen be wakened and come to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about you. Now, those verses probably sound kind of familiar, don't they? Uh, they might be more familiar reversed. What does Isaiah say in Isaiah 2.4? He shall judge among the nations. He shall rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And Micah 4.3 uh, repeats that same thing. But Joel said the opposite. Joel said, beat your plowshares into swords uh, and your pruning hooks into spears, didn't he? Uh, and didn't Jesus at one point tell, Simon, tell, tell his disciples to put away the sword and then he told them to, get, to go get two, didn't he? <laughs> what is Joel telling us? Well, you see, those prophecies of Isaiah and Micah are both in the midst of the context of the millennium. The Lord has already returned on his second coming and he has defeated those armies. Guess who's in control now? Jesus Christ. And there's no need for war. Uh, because all he has to do is speak and just like he did with that army that was gathered, that were gathering against Jerusalem, uh, there's some interesting things as you put the prophecies together on what happens during that, that army. Sometime maybe we'll look at that, but it's interesting. Multiple things happen to destroy them, uh, and, but he destroys them. And he doesn't have to have any uh, uh, military uh, weapons or things like that. He destroys them. And when he's done destroying them, uh, we don't read anything more about armies in the millennium until what? The very end, when they all gather and say, let's go get them, you know? And uh, God just goes, you know, from heaven, and, and they're all toast, all right? And, and that, that's all we hear about war in the millennium. Uh, you know, we hear about God said if the nations didn't obey that God, during the millennium, if they didn't send, uh, uh, you know, ambassadors and representatives to the Feast of Tabernacles and such, if they didn't do that, he would do what? He'd send pestilence on their land and, and drought and those things. So there's that kind of judgment and stuff uh, for disobedient nations during the millennium. But we don't read about the other kind of penalties uh, uh, that, that may come there. We don't see war going on. The only war that we see is right at the very end of the thousand years when all the armies gather together there. Because he, may, he, 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 uh, he demands, he what? He rules with a rod of iron in the millennium, right? There will be no war. Uh, you try to start war, I will stop it. We're not told how he does that. We're not told exactly how he rules with a rod of iron. We know he sends pestilence and uh, perhaps even, 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 even disease and such maybe upon some people. We don't know what kind of chastisement. We're not given all the details about that. Uh, but uh, what, is, uh, what is Joel uh, uh, kind of saying there? Listen, until the millennium, don't put away your armies. <laughs> okay? Uh, uh, we're living in an ugly, hateful, mean world. Okay? And, uh, and by the way, we need armies, okay? When the soldiers asked John Baptist, what, what should we do? Uh, what should we do then? What did John say? Do, do, do violence to no man and be content with your wages. He wasn't telling the soldiers that they needed to be, uh, what's that word? Uh, not, they didn't want to fight, what's the word? Pacifist. 
You don't need to be pacifist. You don't need to quit being a soldier. Quit doing that extra violence the soldiers were known for. They'd take a prisoner, they'd beat him, they'd pull him aside. Look what they did to Jesus, you know. They put the crown of thorns on his head. They, none of that, none of that was, you know, that, that was all there. That was the extra the soldiers threw in, you see. And what John was saying was stop that kind of violence. Do the, do, do the punishment of the law. Don't be thrown in violence just because you like to do violence. You, 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 you execute that. But he didn't tell them to quit being a soldier. Why? Because there's a place for soldiers, amen? And uh, by the way, in, in a wicked world, we need an army, don't we? And I'm thankful for the military that we have. And God, and God, God uses that uh, as a part of our safety. Does he need that? Uh, no, he doesn't need that. I just just tell you that right now. Uh, he, he's proven that in the Bible. Uh, he can take the best army and confuse them in a moment and have the lousiest uh, looking army you ever saw defeat, defeat the best one you ever heard of, okay? He can do that. And we've seen that in the Bible, him taking few and defeating much. So that, that, that should keep us from pride, amen? And yet in wisdom, what do we do? We still are to do the best that we can do, amen? We want to have a good army. Uh, we want to do the best that we can do. But, we, but we, as a people, we ought to be looking to God and uh, thankful you know, for, for those that do serve, praying, praying for them. So that reverse, that reverse admonition there. Because there's going to be war in the millennium. Uh, I mean, in the, before the, before the uh, millennium, in the tribulation period. Beat your plowshares into swords. Beat your punishes into spears. What is God doing? He's calling the heathen. You know what he's saying? Come on. <laughs> Come get it. <laughs> it's really what he's saying. Hey, mercy's up. For those who haven't repented, God is saying, I'm coming. Come on. Come get me. Give it the best you got. Uh, let the heathen be wakened. Come up to the valley of Jehazah. There will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Uh, that battle's coming. Revelation 16, 12, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. The water thereof was dried up in the way the kings of the east might be prepared. I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. You see how John gives us a little bit more detail than Joel was, than Joel was given. And how that God's going to gather those armies together. He's going to let the demons go out and say, go get them. Uh, go deceive them. Uh, tell, them they can, tell them they can come. They can take Jerusalem. Uh, you know, they can uh, you know, uh, come and, and, and win that victory. Go get them. Kind of what he, he does there. Uh, and then what he have, verse 13. Put ye in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. What's he talking about? There's time for a reaping, but it's not a good one. Their wickedness is great. Revelation 14. And this is a parenthetic passage, so it doesn't uh, uh, necessarily, it's not necessarily in the chronological place. Uh, in, uh, in, in, in the chronological order in Revelation it's a, the, there's, there's different passages in Revelation some of them look forward to the future some of them look back to the past and there's parenthetical passages usually when it, when it goes up to heaven is where you find those, the, those passages in Revelation when there's a vision in heaven that, that, when you see that in Revelation time is not advancing in the tribulation 
It's just telling you what's coming or what has come. It's summing up things and giving you some more details. When you get back down to the trumpets, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and the bowls and such, those are the, are the chronological things in Revelation. Revelation 14, I looked and behold a white cloud and upon the cloud one sat like unto the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and his hand a sharp sickle. That sounds familiar. Joel talked about that. Another angel came out of the temple crying. Uh, he, he, he cries, thrust in thy sickle and reap. The time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. What harvest of the earth is that? He'll tell us. He that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire. Cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle. Gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. What grapes are these? What cluster is this? And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it in what? To the great wine press of, here it is, the wrath of God. Now we, know what the, now we know what the vintage was. Now we know what the reaping was. It was what? The reaping of the lost. It was the, re, it was the gathering of the lost. It was the destruction uh, of that Armageddon, that great battle where those armies are being defeated. They're going to be what? Before, before the millennium, they'll be cast what? Into the lake of fire, in, in, into, God, into God's wrath. And the Bible says in verse 20, the winepress was trodden without the city and the blood came out of the winepress even under the horse bridles by the space of 1,600 uh, uh, furlongs. Verse 14, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. Here it is, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Uh, valley of decision, many, many uh, people use that, use that for a salvation passage. It's actually a judgment passage. It's, what, it's when God decides in that, in that, in that valley of, uh, of Jezreel or in that, that valley of Armageddon that I am now going to judge the heathen and the lost are going to be destroyed there. I've decided that it's time. That's what the valley of decision is there that Joel is talking about. Uh, and then all the following verses throughout the rest of, of, of Joel, uh, we've seen the, the, the second coming of Christ in, in, in the previous ones we've just gone through, that great destruction of, of those armies, uh, those armies being drawn together, uh, God uh, saying he's, you know, he's going to destroy them. And now we see, once again, the sun and the moon shall be dark and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord shall roar out of Zion, that's his second coming, utter his voice from Jerusalem, Heavens and the earth shall shake. The Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy and there shall no stranger pass through her anymore. Where are we at? We're coming up on the millennium, amen? We're talking about millennial, millennial things. It shall come to pass in that day, the part of the day of the Lord that, that, that involves the millennium. In that day, What's he say? The mountains shall drop new wine, the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation. Edom shall be a desolate wilderness for the violence against the children of Judah because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever and Jerusalem from generation to generation for I will cleanse their blood. I have not cleansed. What's that? All Israel being saved. In other words, uh, one third of them believe and uh, go into the millennium. Uh, 
I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. See, he's not dwelling in Zion uh, during uh, Peter's time, <laughs> during the New Testament time. He, he's dwelling, he was dwelling in Zion when? Before they rejected the Messiah. Uh, after that their temple was less left under them desolate but when he comes back and takes care of business during the tribulation period where he judges the nations for their rejection of the gospel for the mistreatment of his people uh, during during the tribulation period and when he does all that guess where he's back at now he's back in zion he's he's going to you know rain, rain 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 from jerusalem and that's that's joel's prophecy uh, he'll be there's salvation in, in zion salvation in in jerusalem the spirit is poured out upon all flesh everyone in the millennium uh, goes in uh, uh, saved you're either in a in an in an, in an immortal body you've already been born again or you're in an, an immortal you're in a mortal body and you've been born again either way everyone uh with it with with the new nature has what been born again and uh, and so that's uh, what what happens there when they go into into that that millennium. Uh, he talks about in verse eighteen. He says he says it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of of Shittim. And so we see a fountain. You'll notice multiple places when you read the scriptures and the prophets that as you picture God's throne and you, as you picture that temple there, there are waters. Ezekiel talks about that. Waters flowing out of the temple. And uh, they go out. Remember the, the passage of Ezekiel, they get deeper and deeper and deeper. He walks in them at first. They're ankle deep and then they're knee deep and then they're, then they're waist deep. You remember those waters? Those waters are flowing out, out from the temple. They're living waters. And when it, go, you know, it brings life where the waters flow. Well, it's interesting that the, the, living, the, the living waters... And uh, uh, I was reading one commentator that said, uh, and I thought it's pretty interesting, uh, that day the mountains will drop down new wine. It says uh, the, the waters will flow uh, uh, to the valley uh, uh, of Shedem. Now listen, where's that at? That is where Joshua was on the east side of Jordan. That's where they waited before they crossed. Was Shedem, right there. In that and. That's where the waters flow. Now here's the problem. In between the Jordan River and the temple, we have the Mount of Olives. How does the water get from the temple over the Mount of Olives, which is on the east of Jerusalem, to the Valley of Shittim? Which is, and I was looking that up. Couldn't find a real uh, 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 clear uh, definition of where that was, but it's obvious where Joshua was. Could have been on both sides of the Jordan. It's a valley. Could have been on both sides. Could have been on the west side of the Jordan too. But still in between, there's the Mount of Olives. Interesting. Zechariah 14:4, the Lord returns. His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem, on the east, and the Mount of Olives what? shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west and there shall be a great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north half of the mountain shall remove toward the south that's the Mount of Olives cleaving and so what happens now you have, God, you have a God made valley <laughs> uh, by the feet of the Lord that, has, that is going what east to west the Bible talks about that water flowing uh, from, from the temple 
to the valley of Shittim, right probably through that valley that God opened right up during the tribulation period uh, when, when he returned there. And so uh, uh, just again, another, another indication that it seemed Joel was looking farther ahead uh, than just the, the, low, the more near battles that were coming. I think he was seeing right farther ahead into in, in even the battles that are going on during the tribulation period. John gives us more detail, but it's just a wonderful thing. One of those things that I've appreciated studying this, when I first started, you know, I, I was thinking, well, this should be too hard. It's, a, it's just a little book. It's only three chapters, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and I'm studying and reading and praying. It's like, well, oh, nobody knows anything about this guy. It's like, what in the world is going on here? And just, you know, you get reading and you're reading, you know, you're studying, you know, you read all kinds of, a lot of commentaries and looking up the things and trying to find the, phrase, where else phrases are in the Bible and the places just to figure things out. And it was like, man, you know, it's, this is, you know, I don't know how, how this is going to work out, Lord, you know. And, uh, but God gives grace. But one of the things that, that it's been a blessing to me just, just looking at it and seeing how it fits together. I, I believe that it fits together. But I was thinking about it. You know, a lot of the prophets, we look back and we understand more of what they were saying than they did. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being a prophet and you're speaking these things this is your own people you're talking about bloodshed you're talking about major world events okay and you don't know when they're going to happen <laughs> you don't know when they're going to happen and I thought wow what faith that had to build in those, in those prophets you see all this. Oh man, all this is coming, God. If we if we do this, you'll do this. If we don't do this, you know, you'll do this. This is coming. This this bad. When God? Oh, I'm just telling. I'm just showing you. You just tell him. Man, I thought, wow. And I and I tell you, I I was, I I admire more now the faith of the Old Testament prophets. Because what did they have to do? Just like you and I, when God's doing something, we don't know what it is in our life, what do we have to do? Trust Him. We have to trust Him more. Those prophets were speaking forth life and death things. And they didn't know when they were going to happen. They didn't know all the details of them. But they knew they were real serious. And God wanted them to say them. And that in God's what? Time, He'd reveal them. Amen? And I thought, wow, that's a good challenge for us, isn't it? To learn to trust God and be and what? Be thankful. My goodness, for all we do know now. I mean, we have we have the we have the, the finished canon, amen. We have the beginning to the end right here. And we have such such a so much to learn and know and believe and be thankful. And we so much wisdom given us here to walk in this life and and to know what we ought to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Um, uh, Lord, I thank you for uh, Joel, who was faithful to proclaim your word. And, and Lord, uh, it must have been hard uh, seeing those things and maybe trying to figure out all the things you're trying to say. But, Lord, also, uh, I know he was comforted when you gave them hope and direction in their immediate circumstances. In, uh, in helping with the plague and providing their needs and carrying them through that, God. And 
Father, there was no doubt much contemplation about the spiritual condition of his nation and, and of those things that were yet to come. And, and, uh, and Father, he had seen uh, good kings come and, and, and go. He'd seen some evil kings, Father, and he knew, uh, he knew the, the dread and the, and the drudgery that sin could bring and the judgments, God. And Lord, we thank you that he faithfully proclaimed these things. And, and Lord, we're, we're thankful that we have such a picture, Lord, in your word of what you're going to do. You have told us in so many ways so that we could know. Uh, you chose to reserve this revelation, these revelations for our time. And, uh, and we're so thankful to be in a time when we, dear God, can know so much. And yet even we, just like Joel, we haven't seen this, these battles yet either. We're still walking by faith. We still don't know for sure all the details of these things. Certainly those people during that time uh, will understand more, uh, perhaps, than we do. Uh, but God help us also to walk in faith and to be uh, faithfully deliver uh, the message of the gospel, dear God, that people might be saved. Uh, from the, the, dark, the darker times that are coming upon the earth, the times of judgment of which uh, we all are worthy of, and, and uh, certainly the lost, uh, Lord, uh, need to be saved. And Father, help us to be faithful uh, with the gospel. Bless us in our, in our missions conference. And Father, we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.